nostalgia. It's delicate, but potent. Nostalgia literally means the pain from an old wound. It's a twinge in your heart, far more powerful than memory alone. Well, as, as you heard it, friends of the Shuttlepod universe, nostalgia is more powerful than memory alone. At least that's what 21st century, many 21st century uh, content creators want to imbue you with so that you get caught into their, their nostalgic uh, storytelling, whether that's in, in the Star Trek universe, Star Wars universe, or whatever. Mainly, of course, we're going to be talking about Star Trek, but the subject for today is nostalgia. When, when is it good? When is it bad? What do we want to see in, in our nostalgic entertainment? I am one of your co-hosts. My name is Jared. I'm joined by my friend Brian. Hey, everybody. And my other friend Kayla. Hey, guys. How's it going? Matt Matt could not join us today, uh, but our, we're sure our heart goes with him wherever he is. Indeed. <laughs> now, in terms of, before we get into the broader topic of nostalgia, um, in terms of looking back, we just have to say this is the 50th official episode of the Shuttlepod, uh, a terrific milestone for everyone who's been involved. It is. 50 numbered episodes. That's a big deal. Yep. Yeah, and that doesn't include our supplemental episodes and our discovery episodes. So Yeah, so we're close to actually 70, but 50 official su- 50 official Shuttlepod episodes. And and if you, if you're joining us right you know right uh, right now and you want to look back at some of our older episodes, feel free. You'll find them on trekmovie.com each one of them a masterpiece of internet entertainment (laughs) (laughs) yeah we started off talking about uh, the motion picture and the changeling and i don't think we had any idea that we'd be here talking about this as so many different topics as we have uh, a couple years later so it's uh, kind of fun to be able to do that so it, we are able to, in our discussion about nostalgia, be a little bit nostalgic for the uh, the genesis of the Shuttlepot. Indeed. Good timing. Yes, I agree. Okay, so so let me turn this to the two of you. So whether we see a lot of trends of nostalgia in modern entertainment, why is that so prevalent? Why does it feel like we see more of it now than we did 20 years ago? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Um, you know, why is this era, more, why does it seem to be more nostalgic than in the past? I think certainly there's that technology must have a lot to do with that you know with technology we have constant access to pretty much any show we want um any movie we want any book we want any any comic book we want um and with services like netflix and other streaming sites we can go and watch you know whatever we want at any moment and so it allows you to look back more than you could before you know all of these things are more accessible than they were before um and not to mention you know just the internet itself so we have fan sites and blogs and places like reddit um and other message boards that allow fans of old shows to come together and have discussions it just makes everything you know all that communication is much more streamlined so i think that has to be a big part of it is just our access to these older things allow us to live in those nostalgic worlds Hmm. interesting thought yeah particularly i mean like in the early days of the internet you might have fan sites that were dedicated to i don't know scooby-doo or whatever but now if you want to watch every episode of scooby-doo you could do that one saturday you can just sit down and do that in a way you couldn't have before modern Mm -hmm. streaming technology (laughs) Uh yeah exactly 
<laughs> just as an example. The reason I, I plucked that out of the out of there is, is uh, there were those Scooby Doo movies fifteen years ago or whatever, and and they were nostalgic, obviously, and they felt like kind of yes. an oddity in a way that nostalgic stuff doesn't anymore. And particularly, one of the reasons we want to talk about nostalgia this week is to tie in as a news hook to the Solo movie. We're not, we're not going to spend very much time talking about that, but it, it's germane as an example of maybe people drinking a little bit too much from the nostalgia firehose. I don't know. I actually haven't seen <laughs> Solo. <have either laughs> yeah. No, no, I have not. I haven't seen it yet, although I have, to be honest, I have heard good things from people. I've heard mixed. I, I think it's a bad sign for the film that the three of us have not seen the movie. Right? Because we're the <laughs> yeah, kinds of people that yeah. that's, see that. That's, I guess that's a good point. There's so there that's that's a different that's a different topic though I th- I think is 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 uh germane to the Star Wars discussion is that there's a like market saturation maybe I'll call it which is just there's so much okay. Star Wars yeah. in my life like there's more Star Wars in my life than I ever needed or wanted to be frank. Yeah. I'm a Star sure. Wars fan and yeah. I like I want that around but just like if I see one more like sticker on an apple at the grocery store that has BB8 on it you know what yeah. I mean? And it's just like it's like I don't need to go see Solo because I'm constantly inundated with Star Wars. So I think, yeah. but I think that's yeah. unique to that franchise. Yeah, yeah. I I think I think it's it's and uh, the the oddity of that compared to like Star Trek is there's so much canonical material that can be drawn from for Star Trek in a way that there yeah. just isn't for Star Wars because for so long it was just those three movies basically. Right. Whereas for Star Trek, there's 700, 800 hours of, of canonical entertainment that people can draw from. So that's w- something that I think gives Star Trek a huge advantage if you want to do this kind of nostalgia-driven storytelling. Yes, so, if you want to do that, absolutely. But that yeah. therein lies a problem. Um, before we go any further, I think it is important that we sort of define our terms here. Because we're talking mm-hmm. about the word yeah. nostalgia, but that can mean a lot of things. Um and so we were discussing this a bit before we started to record, and we broke down nostalgic things into sort of four broad categories. So, um, Jared, why don't you take us through those? Okay, so the four terms that we came up with was nostalgia, which is a lot of that is sort of a feeling for something in the past, right, rather than necessarily details. And I think uh, an example of that was in Star Trek Beyond, where to commemorate Leonard having passed – we see the Zach Quinto Spock gets the 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 the, the like the photograph mm-hmm. of the cast from I think it was the Final Frontier, and yep. he looks out in the sky and there's just very touching music, wonderful scene. I would mm-hmm. describe that scene as nostalgic, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and and then we have uh, references, and, and where there'll be little things, Easter eggs or whatever, where the, they'll some character will mention that and you'll kind of smile and nod. And I think a good example of that is in the episode Relics, where when, when Data has got the Aldebaran whiskey there and Tim Forward with Scotty, and he doesn't know what it is, and he just says, it is green, which, of course, Brian is referencing what? Uh, by any other name. Yeah, when, he's, when he gets the, uh, the When he gets Kelvin. the Kelvin drunk. Yeah, very yeah. drunk. Yeah, <laughs> then, then the third thing you could talk about is continuity. And, and continuity, I think, is more important when you're talking about like one unified piece of storytelling right like the uh, and that serves a purpose like for example in in star trek 2009 
when the first line is what is the location of Ambassador Spock? And so we say, oh, Ambassador Spock, that's what his job was in unification on Romulus. Here we see him some Romulans. So mm -hmm. this is the continuation of his storyline. Or yep. when you have like the larger storylines like the Zindi in the third season of Enterprise or the Dominion War in the last two seasons of, uh, uh, of Deep Space Nine, I think that's, that's where continuity comes into play. Right. Yeah, and, and I think and that continuity fourth, oh, was important to separate out as a specific term, especially for Star Trek, because it's this one huge universe or multiverse. Yeah. Um, and so there yeah. are times when, especially in something like Star Trek Discovery, where we have our char characters really in the midst of uh, defined, quote unquote, historic events in the Trek universe, um, they're going to be in, you know, interacting with places and people and things where they kind of have to make a reference at times or they have to explain how it connects to something we've heard about before. Otherwise, it's almost just like yeah. they're sort of pretending it's not there. Um, and so mm. to fit into that world in something that's like Trek where you have this whole like universe full of lore or you know, Lord of the Rings or one of these kinds yeah. of, of franchises, I think that's what makes continuity... Um, important to, to to distinguish from the other things. Yes, absolutely. Sure. So like when, when Major Kira and Dr. Bashir go to the Mirror Universe, there had to be a scene where the Mirror Kira explains what has happened since the original Mirror Mirror. And she has to say, there was this, have you heard of this guy, Jim Kirk, and you heard of this guy, Spock? She, she had to explain what had happened to connect these two stories. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then the fourth piece that we're going to talk about and, th and this one has a negative connotation and i think we can all agree that when this term is used is it's a sign that some of the these three points are not being used that well and maybe they're going too far and that's that term is fan service the when dreaded fan throwing, service yeah mm -hmm. when you're kind of just throwing stuff out there just to do it so that the people who paid for the movie ticket smile and nod and and can feel smart and right. and maybe buy more <laughs> uh, 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 t-shirts than they might have otherwise right. And then this is fan service is also the kind of thing to chum the waters so that all these guys with YouTube channels who say 18 Easter eggs you may have missed in Solo, a Star Wars story, so that they have material <laughs> to talk about. And so, so, so true. Thank you. Too thank true. How'd you like that? Fan service is just empty calories. Yeah. yeah that's a great yeah, way like to put it. It's got no nutritional chips. value whatsoever. Yeah. Okay. And Kayla, you had an example of fan service from Discovery that you wanted to mention. Yeah, so I kind of wanted to um, to bring up uh, this term that we've sort of adopted here on the shuttle pod to mean fan service when it doesn't work or any of these things when it doesn't work, uh, and that's blue milk. And that's yeah. because, you know, obviously that's a reference to the Star Wars universe. Uh, yep. When the, yeah. the, the Force Awakens came out, there were all of these things. It was And, and all of the these little fan service moments had no purpose other than to make you go, oh, I remember that. Oh, I remember that. Right. And when they do it too often, it takes you right out of the story. And so it's just like, hey, remember Blue Milk? Right. Hey, remember? Do you yeah, guys remember exactly. lightsabers? Yeah. Do you guys remember yeah. that? Here they are again. Yeah. And yeah. and I think like yeah. to tie that into the Star Trek universe, there's a great. I think the best example of this that we saw in Discovery was that damn Tribble on Lorca's desk, which was. Right. Had no had no right to be there. No one in the in the Federation <laughs> has seen a Tribble before, but you, yeah. the viewer, have seen a Tribble before, and you remember right. them, and so that's why it's there. Right? And wasn't there a Gorn skeleton in there too, or something? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. In, in his yeah. in his uh, chamber of secrets. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and so that, that extends to the whole um, Lorca's menagerie, or as I like to call it, his creepy ta creepy taxidermy room. 
um, <laughs> which is just where he has like it's like his fan service storage area, and it's like, hey, look a corn skeleton. Yeah, yeah. No one's seen yeah. a corn before, but you have. <laughs> okay, and so and so there's an example. There's an example of where fan service contradicts continuity, right? Because yeah, so many yeah, of these yeah, things yeah. that that haven't been discovered yet yeah. are being shown to us, the audience, even though the, the, the people here shouldn't see it. So this is an example of where fan service flies in the face of some of this other stuff. Now I'm, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna give a counterexample in the uh, uh, the last Pierce Brosnan Bond movie, uh, Die Another Day. There's a scene where he and Q go into some room that's like got all these old gadgets, mm-hmm. right? And that was a nice, wonderful little piece of nostalgia and that made sense, the idea of that, you know, like the, yep. the stupid alligator that he was in in Octopussy or like the uh, mm-hmm. the boots from Russia with Love with the little right. daggers that come out. So they show right, those the... kind of things and, and that is nostalgia that works in my mind. And, and I, I think in, in, in the, sort of one of the premises that we wanted to introduce is that when you're going too much for nostalgia that it leans too much into fan service and it overwhelms the story, then that can be troubling, right? Because if, if you're trying to be something else constantly, you can never be your own thing. You know? Mm-hmm. And this, yeah. th- th- this can then lead into the real problem from a business standpoint for content creators, which is franchise fatigue. So th- that's our framework. Anything else mm-hmm. you guys want to add on on that on that front? No, I think we can okay. dive right into it. Let's do our deep yeah, dive. Yeah, let's, let's jump in. Okay, so with regards to Star Trek, we uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about nostalgia, and uh, versus like continuity. And one of the things I really like about the TOS movie series is it's actually pretty free of nostalgia. They mm-hmm. even Wrath of Khan. I mean, that's they're not trying to recreate space seed that right. it actually it exists on a scale that's like an, uh, you know a whole nother world than space seed because it's such a more engaging story and it just says here's kirk having to deal with the consequences of one of his adventures like for him it was tuesday for khan it ruined his life and 15 years later it's coming back to haunt kirk right yeah right. and and then and then tng mostly they avoided being nostalgic because they had to be, because they recognized, you know, like, like what I just said, if they were constantly being nostalgic to the original series, then it would look like they weren't their own thing, and they had to, to you know, mm-hmm. swim in the waters on their own. They couldn't have the flotation device of nostalgia for uh, a TV show from the 60s. So, and, and I think everyone pretty pretty much agreed with that, that there are a couple small instances of nostalgia in, in TNG, but not very much. Okay, and can you guys think of some some good examples of where they they did it really well? Um, well, in the pilot of TNG Counter of Farpoint, there's that yeah very moving scene between mm. Data and McCoy that is very sweet and harkens a little you know callbacks to Spock and stuff like yep. that. And yep. I feel yeah. like that that was very sweet and very appropriate. And you know, McCoy was there to set, to sit send them off on their adventure and. Yeah, it was very much, a, it was very much a passing of the torch moment. As yeah, well. it had yeah. that kind of. Yeah, it had a bit of a feel of that so, too. So it yeah. served a purpose in that way as well, I think. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and I'm I'm glad you mentioned that, Brian, because I think when we did our pilots episode two weeks ago, I think we forgot to talk about that moment. We did. You are correct. We did and not. And that do is that. that is an oversight because that scene thirty years later still gets me every time. Yeah, me too. I always get choked up by that scene. You treat her like a lady, and she'll always bring you home. 
Yeah. And I know that divorced Kelly is wearing makeup. My rational brain knows that. But I've never looked at that scene and not said, this is Bones when he's 137 years old. Yep. Or really? I have a hard time not seeing the makeup. I'm really? To be honest. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Maybe maybe I'm too nostalgic for it. And so Ooh. my nostalgia ah. is more powerful than my memory alone. I see. That's probably true. Yeah. And you know what, Jared? I just wanted to um, to... to to rewind like one minute because I just really like that you brought up the Wrath of Khan not being nostalgic because oh, mm. I think it's really easy to fall into this pitfall of thinking that um, you can either have callbacks and references and be very deep-seated into something that's come before and that means you're nostalgic or you don't have that at all and you're your own new thing so it's mm-hmm. this pit, this pitfall that in order to be your own new thing you have to completely divorce yourself from what's come before and and I think that's not the key. I think you've just made the point, case in point, with, with Wrath of Khan. Wrath, and Khan. Wrath of Khan does not rely on the original episode at all. It's nope. more, It's basically just a writing prompt. You know, it's a premise. Mm. Is mm-hmm. This happened, yeah. go. And everything yeah. else, while being deep-seated and very, very connected to the origin story, has has actually very little... There, there's very little substance from that origin story, um, right. you know, in the film itself. And so it, it's completely its own thing. And so yes. I feel like it, w- with these franchises like Star Trek, uh, especially in today's age where nostalgia is key, right? And it helps sell, you know, it helps sell subscriptions and toys and whatever. Um, yeah. You know, I, I feel like the content creators need to be able to look at it and say, okay, how do we seed, seat ourselves in like a nostalgic wrapping and create our own thing. And, I, you know, I, I don't have the answer to that. I think it's a very difficult task, but I think that, that they should be, especially with Star Trek, like be very cognizant of that and try mm. to avoid, um, you know, falling into these traps of just like throwing stuff in there just because. Yeah. Like, for example, Khan in Into Darkness. Yeah, no, exactly. That is the opposite that is the opposite of Wrath of Khan if you look at how the nostalgia yeah. was used, right? Yeah. Because there was no yeah. purpose for him to be there. There's no reason the character needed to be Khan and none of it, and it also broke continuity, a lot of what was happening there, so. Yeah. Wrath of Khan and and First Contact are both good examples of continuity. Not nostalgia, mm-hmm. but continuity. Right. Although, yeah. although, although I, I do think, I'm glad you mentioned that, I do think that First Contact does have one delightfully nostalgic scene right there at the end um, when excuse me, when the Vulcans land in, in Bozeman, Montana, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and the thing I like about that is it's it's kind of nostalgic without being worried about continuity because I mean, they don't care what happened in the episode Metamorphosis, right? There's no sense of it being bound to that and like right. that they need to make fan service. Like there's at no point do we hear Zephram Cochran say Oh gosh! I hope I fall in love. I can't fall in love with a real woman. I need to fall in love with a green energy being, right? <laughs> the, yeah, he they, doesn't. He doesn't go waxy poetic about needing a quote unquote companion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so they're they're kind of not too worried about yeah. the specific details there, and they right. certainly don't feel any compulsion to say, "Hey, let's reward the people in the audience who remember that episode." with a couple little anecdotes instead right. they just have this deli- they extrapolate this delightful moment of here's here's first contact between the humans and the vulcans and you know this is going to be the way that tng recognizes the 30th anniversary the same way that deep space nine would do it with the triples episode and that um 
uh, Voyager would do with flashback with Sulu and and uh, um, Commander Rand. So, so I, it's that to me is like nostalgia done beautifully in a point mm-hmm. where yeah, this continuity, but it's not it's not over the top and it's its own thing. It's not bound by trying to be something from the past. Right, mm-hmm. I agree. And a lot of it is kind of like you, like the way you're defining nostalgia as something that's tonal and mm. sort of uh, less tangible representation of what's come before. Yeah. And and, and yeah. what's good about Cochrane too, is that while fans are going to know who's there for the significance of that character being in the movie, they'll understand. But to the average moviegoer, he's just this colorful kind of guy. Yeah, you right. don't need to you know that Metamorphosis exists right. to enjoy First right. Contact. Right, you don't know that he was predestined to invent warp drive when you first meet him. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, you know. yeah. So yeah, it's good. It was that was beautifully done, and, and I know it rubbed certain fans the wrong way at the time, but it never it I'm didn't sure. bother me. Zephyr, Zephyr Cochran was not a big enough of a character to to get too fussed over changes. Yeah. Done. You know. No, and then all the stuff they did with him in Enterprise after. I mean, he. They see they took that name basically and just did their own thing with it and it's better than what was there before. Totally. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now the, the the reference I'm gonna say a reference in first contact that works really well is when we see Barkley gushing over Zephyr Cochran, right? Because <laughs> he's an engineering nerd, of course he's gonna get excited about it. And mm-hmm. and that was a delightful little moment that made everyone that made everyone kinda giggle, right? It, and and they didn't need to to make any kind of pointless reference to Barclay's holodiction or the time he was turned into a spider or the fact that he likes <laughs> to fence with the three musketeers. Instead, they just said, hey, this is an engineering guy, and here he is meeting his hero. And that that's a wonderful little reference there. So I agree. There, there's, there's some examples, some of the terms as we've described. Now, the, the challenge that... And, and we, we're trying to be, you know, we don't want to, to, to be negative or, or we're trying to be positive as we look back at this. But as we have to look at, at the 21st century of the franchise, there's been a lot of mainly backwards-looking instances of the franchise. Maybe it's nostalgic. Maybe it's connected to continuity. Maybe it's kind of bound by the weight of the, the franchise that's come before. And so you look at, at the, the four instances of the franchise since the turn of the century, and it's been Enterprise, which, of course, was a prequel. Uh, we've had fan-created productions. We've had the Kelvinverse and, and then Discovery. And I, I think it's not in, insignificant that all of these are prequels to the Berman era. And, and you know, except for the Kelvinverse, uh, prequels to, and in some ways the Kelvinverse, prequels to TOS as well. Mm-hmm. So what, what, uh, what do we think about that, about that phenomenon that it's been so prevalent for the last 18 years, babies, basically? Well, at the time they decided to go create Enterprise, I actually didn't have a problem with it. I thought the idea of seeing the Federation and you know Starfleet at the beginning was a cool idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I that never necessarily, I never was never necessarily too fussed about that. I didn't see it as being too nostalgic. I felt like there was a there was a motivated reason to do it. I thought it would, you know, but whether they actually carried it off well or not remains to be seen. That's up to, you know, I don't know. I, I, of all of the prequelitis we've seen in the Star Trek franchise in the 21st century, I feel like enterprise, I feel like enterprise is the only one that actually kind of had a reason for being the rest of them are yeah. much more yeah. overt nostalgia vehicles yes. than enterprises. 
Yeah, because Enterprise, I felt like, was more of a risk. Like, for, like, I think Discovery is the <clears throat> corollary to that, where, you know, Enterprise was more of a risk to go back, and Discovery is counting on the fact that it's near to other pre-established events. You know, it it's very clear that, well, it's, I mean, it's very clear that they chose that era in order for, in order to, to make people watch it because it was, they could tie it in, you know. Right more to other things that are like super well known about Star Trek the whole you know Kirk and Spock era right mm. and, and, and Enterprise also it didn't really become nostalgic I think until the fourth season yeah yeah there's a lot of like this so a lot of fan service start in the fourth off that year. way yeah the fourth year yeah. has a lot of fan I'll, service I'll... in it and nostalgia mm-hmm yeah especially with uh, Brent Spiner and the augments that storyline right and, and the finale and, geez and, Sure, sure. The bringing back the all good things. Oh, to the point that okay, now that's an instance of fan service. There is when Malcolm needlessly uses the phrase "all good things." Right. Yeah. Yeah. Little. Yeah. yeah. Little. Yeah. Little bits. Yeah. But yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't consider Enterprise a nostalgia show. I consider it. If we had to label it, I would label it a continuity show. Mm, okay. Yeah. Sure. Whereas, yeah, I agree. You know, also, you know. we need to keep in mind that when Enterprise came out. Star Trek fans had been drinking from the fire hose for the previous 10 years, right? I mean, so there, there wasn't as necessarily an appetite for nostalgia because it had been there for so long. It's not Good like point. it had been missing and we missed it. Sort of like, like Don Draper says, nostalgia is the pain of an old wound. It wasn't an old wound. This is something that had been, you know, in our houses for the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Excellent point. Okay, and then... Thank you, thank you. And in, in terms of the fan-created productions, and of course I have to, you know, you guys are more experts on this than, than I am because you've been in fan-created productions, right? <laughs> right? We have yeah. indeed. So so for these, I think they could only be nostalgic, right? Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I, although, although there, you know, there are fan productions that go beyond, that, you know, take place after, you know, the Voyager yes. era and things like that. Right. But... All of these things, I think, sort of at their core are created out of nostalgia that the creators mm-hmm. have for the show. And especially the ones, mm-hmm. obviously, that take place in TOS um, yeah, in that era. So, like, Star Trek Continues, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, New Voyages, all of these ones are very clearly, you know, uh, heartfelt reproductions uh, yes. You know, it goes almost beyond nostalgia into a, like a recreation of what was. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like for these people, in some ways, it's like their Civil War reenactment type of thing. Yes, right. I think it's, yeah. it's very similar to that, actually. Yeah, yeah, they're very much passion projects, and obviously, a lot of them are born out of the fact that you know, who doesn't want to, you know, especially if you grew up with the original show, who doesn't want to put on the uniform and build the Carters and the bridge and everything and walk around the Enterprise. Yeah. It's yeah. you know mm-hmm. as much of it is as much as it's creating entertainment. A lot of it is simply wish fulfillment. So it makes sense that it's all so much of it is primed by nostalgia. Mm-hmm. But to me, and, that's and almost it, the best kind of nostalgia because it's kind of just celebrating something you love. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a celebration. It's not trying to be a new separate thing necessarily. Right. And, right. and it's not trying to manipulate you to sell you stuff. No. Well, or, that's for sure. Or yeah. it's not. It's not falling well. back on old cliches that because the creators are either a little timid to try something new or or creatively bankrupt right right, right. 
So I, th I think that's basically it on fan, on the fan productions. Yeah, but I thought it important to mention those and and, and congratulate those who have done such good work on that. Now moving into the Kelvin verse, and of course we haven't done any dedicated podcasts yet about the three Kelvin verse movies. We will eventually; they're on our list. Yes, my hunch absolutely. is my hunch is we'll wait till next year because next year is the tenth anniversary of the first one. So Todd, time flies. I cannot believe yeah. it's going to be ten years. Holy yeah. crap! The 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 years start coming and they don't stop coming. Yes. <laughs> um, That's the real so thing at the ground running. Let, Sorry. Thank you. Thank you. If, I don't trust anyone who can't recite the next line of that song to me. <laughs> okay. So so in terms of the Kelvin verse, recognizing that we don't want that to derail the whole, the whole podcast, just sort of right. broad strokes, how well does the nostalgia work there compared to like good – in terms of good continuity, oh, yeah. clever references, or too much fan service. So variable. Need... Yeah. Yes, so very variable. I think it's Ooh. some of it's amazing, and some of it's super well done, and some of it's just atrocious. You know, like I think there's a <laughs> lot of really good nostalgia in 2009. A lot of it is tonal. A lot of it is sort of like things that you can't put your finger on that somehow remind you of, of with star trek and and i think part of that too is because it's like like you know you're making me realize jared is that it's uh you need this hole to be filled before you can fill it with nostalgia and there is obviously a lack of star trek for a long time before 2009 and i think while the film wasn't perfect by any means it did the job it was set out to do which was to reboot this thing um and create this mm -hmm. new yeah. world um and have and some fun with and some remind us fans of, with enthusiasm yeah, exactly. Kind of, and yeah, get the fan base riled up and and set out this, you know, this roadmap for what was to come. I think it did that pretty well. I think um, Into Darkness suffers very, 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 very badly from overuse and poor use of nostalgic things yes. or for nostalgia references, continuity, and fan service. All of it, I think, uh, it at times in that film are misused. Um, we already brought up just the existence of that the character Khan in the film and how mm -hmm. that yeah. is pretty problematic for all of those things. Um, and there's sure. a lot of a lot of pieces just of because, that film. Because there's no purpose for him there. But, oh, sorry. sorry. No, exactly. It, exactly. There's, there's no purpose, right? Because anyone who would get a little tickle from seeing and recognizing this character is someone who will say, why on earth is he here? Yeah, and mm. anyone who doesn't know who he is so anyone who's not uh being targeted for the nostalgic feels um is then utterly confused when they drop a big reveal of oh yep. this character is this guy named khan and 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 if you're an audience member who hadn't seen wrath of khan you're going who <laughs> well, if, yeah well if you're yeah you're you're, you're you're reacting the way kirk and spock react in the movie <laughs> right because kirk and spock yeah. are like who the hell is this guy we've never heard of khan before yeah, when, he, when he reveals his when he reveals his name they kind of just look at him like okay like Okay, he's also, and it's like this. He's, a, it's he's also using beat. perhaps the most good of 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 confusion, where like we're all not sure what's supposed to happen in this weighty moment that doesn't feel that weighty. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And all of the tricks are there to make yeah. it feel weighty. You know, the music stops and he pauses. He's like, "My name is Khan," and it's just like very Duncan obviously Khan. trying to force you to feel something, yeah. and you're just like. What? Yeah, and I remember being in the theater, and there was a guy in front of me with his girlfriend watching the movie. And when that reveal came, he goes, "Oh, come on, really? 
<laughs> That's how I feel. Yeah, <laughs> he, yeah, because a lot of people, you know, are casual fans. They don't pay attention to all this stuff as it goes. So they, you know, he goes to the movies expecting to see the new Star Trek film, and when that happened, he went, "No way, <laughs> really!" Like, he, like he was incredulous. He was mm-hmm. like, "Come on!" Yeah, awesome. And, yeah. and yeah. he was the guy they were supposed to win over at that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, yeah. the other thing, and here's a, here's a continuity point that I like that I really like is in the episode "A Matter of Time," Picard, when speaking to the the time traveling thief. He says he references in the same breath Adolf Hitler and Khan Singh, right? So it is known that this guy is, you know, his name hasn't been lost to history. He's a, a villain in human history on the scale of Hitler, right? Mm-hmm. And so if the guy introduces himself as Khan Singh or Khan Noonien Singh, if he uses his, I guess I don't know if that's his first name because I think Khan was his title, um, then he would, they'd be like, oh crap, we have Hitler in our prison, right? Right. And, and, and they didn't mm. do that. And the other reaction they might have is, why does this guy have the most common name in South Asia? <laughs> like, because that's what his name is otherwise. So it it fails on every single conceivable yeah. level. Yeah. And this is also a problem that happened in the Bond movie Spectre with Blofeld. Oh, where, yeah. Yeah, it did. Where, and that was a. And my wife was with me when I saw it. My wife is very casual fan she doesn't pay any attention so she did not know that christoph waltz was playing blofeld so like uh-huh. now bond fans who went to that movie knew who he was playing and there's all sorts of yeah, little signs in the, in the movie the marketing right yeah. it, there's all sorts of little signs in there that it's blofeld or whatever but when the, when he reveals who he is it did not register to my wife at all she was like okay so like mm. the, to the people the general public who doesn't pay attention to this stuff it didn't register at all and to the Bond fans who were already in the know, it doesn't really register either. <laughs> it's right. like, yeah, okay, we knew that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that yeah, kind of same stuff. Thing. That kind of stuff is it's the exact it was the exact same thing. In fact, I was shocked that they actually went there after what happened with Into Darkness. But, but yeah, exact oh, yeah, same thing. Point. Yeah, it's it's not the same, same as in, in our in, when we were pre gaming this. We talked a little bit about do re- reboots because there's so many reboots. Do they have to be nostalgic? And good examples of reboots that created their own things, I think, would be Batman Begins in 2005 and mm-hmm. then Casino Royale, which we started the Bond franchise. And there's this yep. scene at the end of Batman Begins where uh, Commissioner Gordon or Lieutenant Gordon at the time is, is asking Batman to look into this new criminal. And he pulls out of this evidence bag, he pulls out a playing card. And, of course, what's on the playing card but uh, the Joker, right? And – that was a cute little moment, right? Because no one was expecting mm. that little little reference there at the end. And he just says, I'll look into it, right? And we know, okay, this is presaging his greatest arch enemy. But for him at that moment, it's just, oh, it's my next case. So I think right. there it worked. It didn't work in Into Darkness or, as you mentioned, Inspector. Right. There were some good moments, I think, in, in Beyond of nostalgia. Oh, that's just what I was going to say. That's just what I was going to say. What, what, what did you think the best one was? Um, well, I think... I'm trying to think of what it falls under. I guess maybe references. Like, there's yeah. um, all the stuff with the Franklin, the ship that they find, yeah. which is, you know, this this um, much oh, earlier which is era an, which ship. which is an NX ship, right? Yeah, it's, it's an, an Enterprise-era, yep. um, yeah, NX ship. And so there's, like, a lot of little things in there. Um, what are some of the other examples, Jared? Scotty mentions the green hand. Giant green space hand. Yeah, giant yeah. green. That's space right. Yeah. yeah, see, and that's a moment. And that was right in the credits, right? 
Right, and Scotty mentions it during the movie, and then yeah, they it show it in the credits okay, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so there, the reference has the point of of being a cute joke, right? And yes. to try to show to make the adventure more lighthearted, so that works well. That works. And it well. doesn't necessarily add to the plot, it like to the movement of the plot, but it's so quick and short. And it doesn't yep. distract from it. And I think if they had done that Not over and all. over and over and over and over, then I would have been like, okay, too much blue milk, right? But if you do one yeah, blue milk yeah, yeah. per move, yeah. you know what I mean? If they only had blue milk and nothing else, then it wouldn't have been that big a deal. But mm. um, but in this case, yeah, it's like one of those little things that works. I agree. Yeah, Dude. and that, this was actually something to go back to Star Wars where I, where I kind of struggled with Rogue One is there was way too many references. All the yeah. Star Wars movies have way too many references. Yeah, all the new that's ones. true. That's true. And from what I understand, I the solo movie's packed with them as well. From what I understand, it's two hours of that. Uh, so, uh, well, which is why I'm not racing to theaters to see it, because I've already seen all that. Yeah, that. Yeah, that movie has a uh, airplane written all over to it. All over. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> okay. Anything else about the Kelvin verse? It was a shame after they re- went through the trouble of rebooting things in the first movie that they devolved into all that nostalgia and fan service so quickly with the second movie. Mm. You know, you go through the trouble yeah. of kind of giving yourself this like blank slate to play with, and your first yeah. instinct is yeah, to go yeah. back to things that you that have already been done no because kidding. it's easy. Because it's easy. Mm-hmm. Because triple blood. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. So the whole thing was yeah. So. So it, it, that that you know that that's the one regret I have about the Kelvin verse. I love I am one of those people that had no problem with them creating a new timeline. I thought it was time to move on from Prime. Me too. I thought it was genius the way they did it. To be frank, yeah, yeah. absolutely, and, absolutely. And, and tying it but into they, the they continuity. haven't really they haven't really used it very well. Mm, I agree. So maybe they will. There's an, maybe you know more movies to come still in the cards. So it's possible yeah, we might get more. Maybe maybe. Mm. In the Cards is the name of the second-to-last episode of the fifth season of Deep Space Nine. Oh, so bam. You, you just got fact-bombed by Jared. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is a fantastic episode, Brian. It is basically an, the, uh, the Deep Space Nine version of an episode of M.A.S.H. where Radar is trying to, like, mail home pieces of a Jeep to his family. Of the Jeep, one by one? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic little episode. I think I've seen that. I had to have seen it at one time or another. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Okay, so let's move on to Discovery. Let's move on to Discovery. Now, what are some instances, and we talked about this a little already to begin, uh, but are there any other details that we want to go into of where, uh, you know, they did continuity, where they had references that maybe Mm -hmm. worked well, uh, where you felt genuine nostalgia for the franchise, or, or where we got stuck in fan service? Well, well, here's something interesting that just came to my mind. Because I think Discovery was also, like the couple members, a mix. I think there's a lot of really good things in Discovery, good nostalgic things. And I think there's a lot of things that go way too far. Like I mentioned the Tribbles. Hey, remember Tribbles? Hey, remember mm-hmm. Gorn? Hey, remember whatever? You know, and all that stuff bothers me when there's too much of it. But I just thought of something that I know will be divisive within this very podcast. Oh, which is okay. Which is the episode Lethe. Mm-hmm. Which... Which, um, like, I, I, for I example, that so that Lethe is the one where it's the Sarek heavy one where, um, you know, he's in trouble and he's like reaching out with his mind to Michael oh, okay, and yeah. they're like where flashing he, back he to being on Vulcan. the powers of Doctor Strange. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, and they're yeah. yeah, and he's flashing back to being on Vulcan and the time that he basically like sold Michael out so that he could get Spock into the Vulcan Science Academy. That whole thing, you remember that? Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of fans yeah. really did not like that at all. I did. I I actually really liked it. It worked for oh, me. Oh, interesting. I don't. Okay. And I know. I know that you guys didn't like that. That I know particularly I, like Brian just... had a hard time with that. I think Brian really disliked it. I thought it was just pointless. And, and But you say you liked it. That's kind of So we got kind of a spectrum here. Yeah, and I, f- I wonder if nostalgia is the thing that's making it or not making it for some of us. Because obviously the three of us have different levels of nostalgia for TOS and for those particular characters yeah. like Sarek and Spock. Yeah. Um, and for me, I just thought it was cool that they were able to take a character like Spock that's so well established. We like how do you add to the story of Spock? Like we know so much about him, about his past, about what motivates him, and I thought that that they were able to add to that in a meaningful way that at least helped me understand the character better in a way that didn't violate canon and that um so it's sort of I was just amazed that they were able to add a layer like a dimension to the character which to to a character that's already so full of dimensions um so that that worked for me i i saw the whole thing and i went oh well that's cool now i can kind of understand why you know they have this the they had this father-son rift between them and it kind of just filled in some something for me in the story but i can understand completely why some fans didn't like it yeah, well, a lot of fans didn't like it. My objections have nothing to do with nostalgia. It just, I think it takes a character that had already been established and makes him into a petty asshole. Mm. You mean Sarek? Sarek, yeah. And let's face it, and you, want to talk, and you want to talk about nostalgia and cheap nostalgia, tying Michael Burnham into Spock and Sarek is yeah. cheap nostalgia. All, all of that, all of that. I, I don't think she should have had any connection to Vulcan at all, and if it was... I Vulcan, it should have been somebody else entirely. I agree, but given that that was a fact that had been established, then I liked what they did with it. I, I agree that I think it's silly to have her be like, "Oh, it's Spock's sister." It's like, why? You know, I didn't. I never understood why they needed to do that. But <laughs> well, could be for obvious reasons. Well, for nostalgic reasons, right? Yeah. And so, but the fact that they had done that, and I kind of accepted that fact and moved on, then I, this worked for me. And and yeah, I don't know. So one of the rules I w- that I sort of have for doing nostalgia right, one of the prescriptions I would make, is, and maybe I've mentioned this to you guys before on or off the podcast, is I would write up whatever the 10 most famous episodes are from Star Trek or the 10 most famous cliches, uh, lines, scenes, tropes, whatever whatever they are, and not do those 10 things, right? So I thought in a darkness, the, the thing to make, that would have made that interesting to me is instead of making a con – Make him Garth of Izar or Kodos the Executioner, right? Take one of those episodes that are still well known to us, but Mm. not super well explored. Because you know we have this idea that like wasn't wasn't Garth one of Kirk's uh, heroes? Like because he's this great strategist. And so one of the things that we deal with that that uh, Kelvin Kirk is dealing with is his need for a father figure. And so because his father uh, because. uh, his Chris Hemsworth's father died on the uh, on the Kelvin, and so he tries to find it in Christopher Pike, and so maybe he might be lured. You know, here's Garth of Arzar, who's this amazing leader, and we have kind of a light side, dark side kind of thing where he's more interested in this guy. What can he learn from this guy? Or maybe this guy's bad. I mean, Kodos for crying out loud has the phrase "the executioner" in his name, 
and and then also of course Kodos is more famous now because they used him as uh, on the Simpsons right so you right. mentioned Kodos and you hmm. kind of tie into that yep. oh and this <laughs> yep. was the Canyon thing I wanted Kodos. to say about fan service that drives me bonkers about Into Darkness is when is when Spock does the con scream it completely uh-huh. takes me out of the scene same because because yeah. That, that thing has become such a cliche and it's so famous that they weren't referencing Wrath of Khan. They were referencing Seinfeld referencing Wrath of Khan, right? Because, yeah. Because George does that in a couple episodes. I think Elaine does it in an episode. And at that point, you're supposed to be feeling serious. And because they need to make a reference, you start laughing or, or at least rolling it, yeah. your eyes. Yeah, because yeah. it's so goofy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's used it as a goofy. joke. Yeah. The, when people make reference to it, it's as a joke because it, because yeah. the characters in the original scene, you know, there's so much passion and there's few situations yeah. where that much passion is warranted. It works and obviously in the original scene yeah. and became iconic. But after that, it's used to, to as hyperbole to say, oh, this is so extreme yeah. that I'm going to yeah. yell con. Yeah. But yeah. it's hyper. It's it completely terrible. hyperbolic. It was terrible. Uh-huh. And, and supposedly that should be out of character for Spock, too. Right. To lose his cool like that. Completely. It's also out of character for Spock to punch a man to death, but that was not above that movie either. <laughs> yeah. Especially when it's been established for the preceding 45 years that his species has developed kind of a touch telepathy martial arts technique that allows you to <laughs> nonviolently incapacitate someone. Yeah, exactly. The whole per- Leonard Nimoy, one of, one of Leonard Nimoy's reasons for creating the nerve pinch is because he figured that having Spock into physical altercations was very inelegant. Yeah, yeah. and he's right. You know, look, guys, we could go on. A yeah, I'm sorry. We don't about. So, so I. Yeah. All that stuff. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. We'll save it. Yeah. OK, so so I, I listed. That's an idea that I have for how you could do nostalgia for Star Trek in the right way is is to avoid the most famous stuff. Like I would never put a goatee on someone to show that they're an evil doppelganger. Ah. It's just as soon as as um, Bender did that on Futurama, Star Trek couldn't do it anymore. Right, you just you just had to stop. <laughs> so, what yeah. are some other ways to do nostalgia in in Star Trek Discovery specifically? Because that's mm-hmm. the the current instance of the franchise. What are ways to do nostalgia? Right. What are some things that you would like to see that would make you feel nostalgic and kind of make you grin rather than roll your eyes? Well, the Clint ha- the Clint Howard thing was really good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Two words. So, Clint a, Howard. Yeah. A, yeah. a very esoteric casting choice. Yeah. It was. It was great. It was great. Yeah, as, it soon was. As, you, as soon as you, you see him and it registers who it is, it's like, oh, shit, it's Clint Howard. And if you yeah. don't know who I he is, that. it doesn't ruin the scene. Right. Exactly Because right. he's a goofy-looking dude on an alien planet, and it's good to have yeah. a goofy-looking dude there. Exactly. Right. He was perfect. Yes. He fit in perfectly. And like you said, if you don't know who he is, it's totally fine. But if you do, you get that nice little bit of recognition. Yeah. So it's a double, that, double I, You know, if they... Yeah, so that worked beautifully, and and it was also a pleasant surprise. Uh, I mean, like when I saw the yeah. triples, that was not a, a surprise. Uh, but you see Clint Howard, and I actually I, I made an audible noise when I saw that. I went, "Hey!" I was yeah, me too, like, me too, me too, me yeah, too. I think everybody did. I think yeah. everybody did. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, that was so, a nice so moment. That's definitely that one I, of the better moments I, they had. Oh yeah, the winning is winning. A winning scene that they did that, and then the scene itself is clever and fun because yep. Tilly because gets Tilly and Tilly works. Hashtag Tilly is life, <laughs> and Tilly just like calling up 
Michael and being like, I'm super high right now. It's just yeah, funny. Yeah, that was hilarious. That was hilarious. Yeah, hopefully they're able to do some more good stuff with her in the second season. So, yeah, that was you you posed a good question there, Jared, and we haven't really answered it. It's what do we want to see going forward with Discovery? So, in season 2, what kinds of things could we could could the the show the showrunners do that would that would just tickle us? Well, we have to we right now we have to we have plenty of nostalgia coming up with the Enterprise. I know, I know, I'm and worried. And Christopher Pike. Okay. Or if you want to call it nostalgia, yeah. I don't know what you want to call it, but it's... See, we definitely see got some stuff coming up. We definitely have some stuff coming up that is uh, familiar. Yeah, cause so, so that I'm actually not interested in at all, right? Same. L- like, yeah, when, uh, when it's revealed that Captain Sisko has the Christopher Pike Medal of Honor, that's like, oh, that's a cute little reference. Yeah, Christopher mm-hmm. Pike, I'm sure he had a great career otherwise. But here, where we need to see him shoot, Kaylee, you say shoehorned into it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm not interested in that at all. I'd rather see like Richard Daystrom return, and they do a cool episode about artificial intelligence. That would also be a little more That'd timely cool. than perhaps it was in mm-hmm. the late '60s. Um, so so something like that that's that's known but not super well known, and certainly not cliche. Mm-hmm. That that's mm-hmm. the kind of that's the kind of thing that that I would like. Like I would love to see. Um, and I, people have done the math, whether it's Emony Dax or Tobin Dax, but whoever the current host of the Dax symbiont is, I think that would be cool to see. Because, That'd be cool. Because mm-hmm. that's somebody that we know, but we don't know a lot about him or her. Right. Right. And they could be a new character. It's again, it's one of those things. It's a springboard. It's not a weight. Yep. You know, it's a springboard into say, here's a writing prompt. There's this person who who we know the symbiont, but we don't know the host. They existed at this time. Yeah. Who are they? And it gives the writers a completely clean slate, just like with Wrath of Khan. It's a springboard. Yep. It's instead mm-hmm. of saying, and I feel like the Enterprise appearing in the finale of Discovery this this last season is more of a weight. I feel like it, it feels to me yep. like they wrote the they wrote the episode and it was all finished and they're ready to start shooting it. And then someone called them and said, hey, you have to put the Enterprise in this show mm-hmm. and then they went ah yeah. crap and they wrote that last scene because it had nothing to do with anything yeah. else in the entire series and now they're but like doubling down true, on though. it but that's actually not what happened though if you believe alex kurtzman they knew at the end they knew at the beginning of the season that they were going to end with the enterprise yeah it's a wow. bad idea yeah yeah and I that they worked backwards to get to that point or some something like that great great so so huh. I, yeah, I mean, I ha- there's a whole other discussion to be had about why they would press that button so early in the show's life, but I hope it they is prove what it me is. wrong. Yeah, see, because to me, the the Enterprise and Sarek, that is not a blank slate. You you can't go into those waters without crashing into rocks. Oh, completely. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, and there's there it, it Discovery is a very odd mixture of things. I hope they prove me wrong, but I'm very worried that it's just going to be nostalgia overload in season two, at least the first half of the season. Yeah, well, th- I think that they are definitely going to double down on some of the nostalgia elements. Yeah, boy. Yeah. I do like, though, that they are they are moving the visual canon a bit more towards what we know um, with like the new uniforms for season two, mm. which are the classic, you know, gold, red and blue colors um 
just because I, they went so far into left field with the visual canon of Discovery, it's it's nice to to remind ourselves that we are in fact in the same universe, like visually, you know. It does make you wonder why they bothered with their uniforms in the first place. So if they were going to do this, if we were going to see the a variation of the original series uniforms in the beginning of the second season, why did they bother building those other uniforms? Well, I agree. We, I wish we had had those from the get go, but it's like even even doing it too late is better for me than not doing it because i just i just don't really like the uniforms though that's not me neither every every time i look at them i feel like i should i I feel like i should be ordering a cocktail on an airplane or something yeah (laughs) yeah yeah and they're they're kind of frumpy and uh, anyway that's a whole other discussion too but i i think i'm the only one who likes the uniforms yeah i think so yeah Yeah. that's all right that's all right to me, and oh, to good. me, they remind me, to me, the thing I like about them is they have kind of a retro sci-fi Spaceman Spiff kind of vibe about them. So I feel like a nostalgia in there for other stuff that's connected to the franchise, but not, you know, within it. So so that's kind of what appeals to me. But, Fair enough. Yeah. Well, I loved the Mirror Universe uniforms. Those were awesome. Oh, the, the gold ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought those were super cool. Yeah, they were good. I agree. I hope mm-hmm. we see some of those in Vegas this year. Yeah. Okay, so let me let me posit this question. Why is there so much nostalgia for TOS and the iconography and the characters from TOS and not the for in in the Berman era series? Um, I think it had a lot of it has to do simply with the the iconic place that the original series has in the larger culture i mean everybody even if you've never watched star trek you know who kirk and spock are you know who kirk and spock are um the original series the original series has been on non-stop since 1966 Mm. it's on every day somewhere and it has been pretty much every day since it premiered it's americana at this point yeah it's deeply embedded in the culture so yeah. that's why you keep getting the original series over and over and over again. Yeah, because I would I would disagree that there isn't nostalgia for the Berman era. I think within oh, the nostalgia. fan base, there's a huge yes. amount of nostalgia. Particularly, it's growing, I think, for the Berman era because the people um, like my age, um, you know, plus or minus a few years, grew yeah. up mm-hmm. watching it either as a kid or it was always on from when they were born, you know, like next generation or they grew up, you know, so they, they grew up watching a Berman era show and people mm-hmm. in my generation are entering their, their, their prime spending years, you know, the thirties and the forties. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. And now a lot of, um, of demographic, you know, uh, you know, putting people in these demographic boxes, um, you know, is based on buying habits. So for example, I have a friend who's, you know, in his late forties, he considers himself a millennial. And I was like, well, that's, you're clearly not a millennial. Like, no, you know, you don't not. fall in that age range. And he said, well, I, I know, but as far as all these companies are concerned, I am because I buy, this is the stuff I buy. These are the kinds of shows that I watch. You know, these are the, these are the things that, um, that, you know, I'm buying, my buying habits are like a millennial. And I was like, okay, that's, you know, it's an interesting point. So, so he considers himself being marketed to as a millennial. So I think there's okay. something to be said for that, like that idea that um, that like, you know, who is coming into their their prime buying years. And right now, I think it's people who grew up watching the earlier Berman era shows. So, OK, can I, can I appreciate I appreciate you sharing that. So what you're saying is perhaps there's some untapped nostalgia so that there's 100%. the fan base feels it, 
but it, it, it wasn't in the Kelvin verse. It was. It's not. Hasn't really been in Discovery. And the fan productions, as far as I know, they're not based in the Berman era. They're the the big ones have been based in the in the TOS. Yep. Yeah. yeah 100%, well, the, I think the, that's true. the fan productions aren't being built like that because those sets are impossible to build. Yeah. And you can that, build that an original. Some... You can build that's the original series sets. It's mm-hmm. it's virtually impossible to build the TNG sets without a huge amount of resources. Huge budget. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. Huge. Those, especially that bridge, is re- the, the shapes on it, the shoehorn, and like there's all sorts of things about that that would be immensely difficult to. Well, make. You just go into a Hilton lobby. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> or so any mo- any modern airport lounge. Um, yeah, the one plant in the corner. So I, I think the indication of how this untapped nostalgia for TNG is being tapped is the Orville, right? That's the thing that's saying we, we don't want to see yeah. more yeah, Kirk and yeah. Spock, Mirror Universe stuff. We want to see something that feels like the Enterprise D. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, think that's, I think that show does rely a lot on that. And I think Seth MacFarlane would be the first to admit that it's in a lot of ways pulling directly from the next sure. generation. Mm-hmm. Even in mm-hmm. set design and things like that, the yep. carpeted walls yep. and all that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But, but I, I do th- think what you said, Jared, is completely true. I think there's an untapped... I think that I wish studio executives would realize that there is a very strong nostalgia for Berman era Star Trek, particularly the next generation, which, by the yeah. way, was the most successful uh, iteration of the franchise, like by far, as much as TOS by obviously far. is great and I love it, oh, you yeah. can't argue mm-hmm. that TNG was the most successful. Oh, yeah. you could very much argue that, but we're in, not going to get into that. Oh, in terms in terms of ratings and popular appeal at the time it was on the air, I think I don't think there's any argument against that. No. Oh, I completely agree with that. But in the larger scale of things, oh no, I'm not. I'm not. It, I'm not talking about like influence on the show close. and all those things. Because obviously, TOS is where it started. I just mean if you sure. like, if you were to write a a report with with pie charts and bar graphs, there's, you know, it's pretty clear that from an executive's point of view, like which of these was the money maker? Yeah. Is is at, TNG? At Regardless, I'm not. Yeah. No. You know, no. I, of course, TOS had a much bigger influence on the franchise. Because it started yeah. it. Okay. But it, it is weird that, you know, given that there's so much to draw from, how they only tend to go back to the those first few years. I mean, we've it would be very easy to say, oh, we're taking a field trip to a wine tasting in southern France. Wink, 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 wink. Right? To the <laughs> P- Chateau Picard. They could do that. That would be mm-hmm. super easy. That would be cool. Yeah. yeah. It would. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I agree. They should do little things like that, little nods here and there. Maybe they will. Who knows? Yeah, why not? Well, um, I'm seeing uh, where we've been on. We've been recording for an hour. I think it might be. I have a lot of other questions here, but I feel like unless you guys have other any other winning comments, I feel like we've uh, done as much as we're as we're going to. Do, do you have any other final thoughts? Hmm. I, I guess I just wish that. And I assume this is the cycle the culture is running through, and it will wear out at some point, um, and that people will start going back into creating more original things, and going on new so. adventures that don't rely so much on leaning on the works of other people. Go sure. out and do your own thing. I mean, I would very much like to see a Star Trek show that is completely divorced from everything that we've seen before. mm I don't want to see anything involving Kirk, Spock, Picard, Data, 
I'm none of it. I would like. Big I would like to see. Let's start. I would love to. I would love to have a new show that was not in Prime, was not in Kelvin. Let's mm. just start all over. Empty slate. Star Trek for the 21st century. Go. Give me heady. Give me heady smart science fiction. Yeah. No. I think that's. I think Brian. That's really well put. Um, and I totally 100% agree with everything you were saying. I think I, I also kind of hope that this pendulum swings back from uh, an era of, of, of film and television that seems to be very driven by nostalgia into something mm. more original. So, yep. You know, Trek and otherwise. Mm, yeah. Yep. And otherwise. Yep. Absolutely. It's uh, industry wide, the situation. Well, but something that I think we can all agree we're nostalgic for is the Shuttlepod podcast. And we're delighted to have been able to do 50 episodes. <laughs> and hopefully we'll, we'll be the, – the next 50 will be even newer and even more all different so that we don't get bogged down in some of the problems <laughs> that we're talking about. <laughs> now, That's right. When we, have our, when we have our nostalgia episode part two, you know we're in trouble. Yeah, yeah. We're <laughs> yeah. revisiting Star Trek V again. Yeah. <laughs> no one needs to hear two hours of that. So that's, we, we've that's, covered it. We've covered that's it. another thing of about pointlessly shoehorning a new sibling into Spock's family is they already did that once. Anyway. <laughs> that's true. Anyway, yeah. okay. So now, you see Discovery is Discovery is actually nostalgic for Star Trek Five. That's right. <laughs> that's what it is. That's, I knew I I knew I felt something similar. That's that's why there was that marketing that you couldn't say God on set is because they were holding it back. That the ultimate question of Star Trek Two is going to be they answer what does God need with a star ship? Starship with a starship. Yeah. We will yeah. find out. We'll find out. Okay, now Kayla, you met week. you met and interacted with one of our fans recently, right? That's right, and I really wanted to give a shout out to Vince who came and said hello to me um, after um, I was on a Star Trek Discovery panel at Phoenix Comic Fest in Phoenix this last weekend. Um, thank you so much for coming and saying hello. Um, he said he really likes the, the podcast. He's a listener, so thanks for listening. We really appreciate cool. hearing the feedback. Um, and he mentioned, you know, he mentioned you guys as well. He mentioned, you know, Brian uh, and said he really likes the points that you make. And oh, he mentioned nice specifically... He said there is. He said he has one piece of advice for us, and I think it's very, um, very perfect for today's nostalgia episode. He says we need more Trek anecdotes. Mm. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. So I think Vince and myself and everyone out there, I think, are feeling a little bit of nostalgia for Jared's Trek anecdotes. So Jared, oh, I wonder great. if you can lay one on us today. Oh, I actually have one. Uh, I have a Memorial Day uh, Trek anecdote that I just happened to me yesterday. <laughs> no, yeah. Really? Okay. Perfect. So I met this. Memorial Day barbecue, you know, I'm meeting some people and someone, you know, meets someone. Oh, what do you do? She says, oh, I'm a social worker. What do you, where do you work in? And I say, oh, I work in dialysis. And I tried to imitate the voice of that old lady from Star Trek four and say kidney dialysis. Right. And, and she gives me this look like I'm an idiot and says, what, o- what other kind of dialysis is there? And I said, okay, yeah, that's true, I guess. But I just wanted to quote that lady when she was talking to Bones. So that was my little moment where uh, a trick anecdote was inserted into some small talk at a Memorial Day barbecue. You should have said dialysis. What is, what is this? The Dark Ages? <laughs> the Dark Ages? <laughs> <laughs> that might have been too insulting for somebody that, you just met. 
Yeah, that might have been lost on her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind for Memorial Day 2019. How about that? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you can see her. You can be like, how's that work you do with the bone knives and bear skins? <laughs> and the, hmm. and the GD Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> <laughs> the GD. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Well, with that little bit of nostalgia, I think that closes out our episode on nostalgia. Absolutely, it does. Absolutely, it does. Thank you for joining yep, us, everybody. We'll see you in two weeks. Yep, see you for then. Episode 51. Mm-hmm. The first of the next 50. Mm. That's right. See you guys soon. Take Good care. night, everybody. Bye, everybody.